the sweet aroma that is the voices that have been lifted up in this room, voices in prayer. I love how as we're all praying in different little pockets of this room, it's um, every one of those voices is heard crystal clear to you because they pass through the hand of your son to the very throne of God. Lord, I thank you for the voices that sing praise to you. Lord, that's why you've created us. We are literally here to bring you glory, that, we, that our lives might sing your praise. That's your will for us. So Lord, I pray that as we continue to worship you now in the word, your word would do its work in our lives. And that work is to conform us into the beautiful, majestic image of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that all of us pray together. And all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word of God. Psalm 37, 1 through 9. Don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they will wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. He will make your innocent radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil. People who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes, stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Sorry, turn my mic back on. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Find that passage, Psalm 37. Um, it is in the middle of your Bible. The Psalms are in the middle of your Bible, and so I'm going to open up mine too. We're in this series called What Christians Believe, and like I said, um, during the gospel moment, we're, we're trying to engage with the questions that the world asks, but also, frankly, if we're honest, questions that we in the church ask as well. And so uh, we started out with this idea of who God is and, and why is there evil in the world and what's his story? Those were the first three messages. And then we talked about, okay, so um, if he's got this good story, then how does Jesus fit into that story? And what is the gospel as the central message of the story? And then we looked at, okay, but if, if it really is all about grace, by faith alone, through um, grace alone, in Christ alone, then what's with all the rules? And isn't Christianity just one more of many religions? And we looked at that, and then we um, and then we turned it and we sort of pressed it into the personal. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how do we how do we knowing now having a better sense of who God is and who who God says He is, how does that inform and transform our identity? And then last week, our freedom. So I thought I just wanted to point out a couple of things. Do you believe? that God is. So I'm asking, I'm not asking for answers. I just want you to think about this. Do you believe that God is omnipotent? That means all powerful. Do you, do, or do you believe that he is omnipresent? That means everywhere at all time throughout all of creation, not just in this moment, but all moments at all time because he's outside of time. Do you believe he's omniscient, that he knows everything? Do you believe that he's immutable? That means he doesn't change. That means whatever he told us yesterday is still true today. Do you believe that he is eternal, everlasting, from beginning to end, he is God? He is not a created thing. He is the creator of all things. And do you believe that he is sovereign in complete, perfect control of everything? The way we talk about it here is we say there is no um, molecule in all of creation and all of the universe by which Jesus does not say mine. 
right? And so, so is he in control of all things? Now, now that's all sort of the big picture of here's who God is. And here's the question for us. Like, who, do, who does God say we are? Do you believe that God is all loving? Do you believe that he is completely caring? Do you believe that he is deeply concerned about your life and your eternity? Do you believe that he is intensely interactive? Do you believe he's wonderfully perfect, or, um, personal? And do you believe that he is perfectly promise-keeping? Now, the reason I wanted to start there is because if we don't start with a right view of God and then a, and then a right view of who he says we are to him as his people, nothing else we talk about, our identity, living in freedom, and what we're going to talk about today, knowing God's will, none of that matters. If we, if we don't start with and really embrace and just continue to say over and over, I believe, I believe, I believe these things, because we're often, we're a lot like that father, I do believe, help my unbelief. Like that's where we live most of the time. Today on a Sunday morning, after all that beautiful prayer and praise, it's easy to go, I believe. And then the world hits us in the face on Monday or we walk out of our house at 11 at night and it's still 105 and you're like, I'm not sure I believe anymore, Lord, because you wouldn't make this place, right? We always say here, hell is still hot. So this, so living in Phoenix reminds us that, you know what, that that's, that that's worse, right? So let's look at our first talking points question. The talking points are on the, ins, on the back of your insert and it's to sort of generate our conversation today. So the first conversation, the first part that we're going to talk about is how does knowing that your story who he says you are is for his glory change how you think about how to live so how does knowing that your story is meant for his glory so he, here's who he is he's all of these glorious things he's also done all of these wonderful things for us and it's all for a purpose and it's for his glory how does that change how we should live i'm asking now guys before you give me answers i i need you to try to keep your answers i know this is hard because we want to be conversational but in a room like this, they got to be one or two sentences because I've got to be able to summarize quickly what somebody didn't hear you say. If we had a better way to pass a mic around, we would do that. But so I'm asking for input. I please don't let me let what I just said shut down you sharing, but try to share it in two or three sentences, not a paragraph. Does that make sense? Because I can't summarize that for everybody to be edified in it. So how does knowing your story is meant for his glory change how you live or how should it? Thankfully, what do you mean by that, Scott? Praising him continuously. So I'm living a life of praise continuously for what he's done for him, for Scott, and for his loved ones. Good. Well, how else? Always pointing upwards, like to, to live upward and outward. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, right? We are meant, we are created to live upwardly and outwardly, right? Good. What else? get convicted very quickly good so we start realizing okay this isn't about me but i know me then i oh, okay lord I, you know that that isn't bringing you glory good mo you said gratitude having an attitude of gratitude like just being able to say but i love where i'm um, josh led us in that in our prayer time just spending time praising him for what he's done for us that he has renewed us that he has redeemed us that he has restored us right so um Whatever evidences there are in your life, in my life, because I, I, want, I want to encourage you to take time, not right now, I'm preaching, but to take time, make yourself a little note, write down the things that remind you of his, like evidence of his work in your life. I mean, practical, personal things and find a way to remember those because it's so easy for us to forget 
what he is doing in our lives, to forget who he is and who we are to him, that we have to have tangible ways, journaling, um, just you can put sticky notes on your mirror, but just tangible ways that he has shown his goodness to us, that he has shown his glory even through you. Write those things down to help remind yourself. So today, what we're looking at is, okay, in light of all of that, that there is this amazing God, and man, he has done amazing things for us, He must have a purpose in that. He must have a plan, not just globally, certainly that's what the Bible talks about, but also personally. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. So the question that we all run around here going, okay, God, so what is the plan? Like, what is your will for my life? Right? If there is a God and he has a plan and he's in control, then it sure would be nice if he would let me in on it. Right? And so what we're going to talk about today is how do you know God's will for your life? What does it take? So the question is, what does it take to know and to live God's will? What does it take to know and to live God's will? And I picked Psalm 37 on purpose because there are a lot of passages in the Bible that specifically speak of God's will. This one doesn't. I think it alludes to how we know about God's will. And it it alludes to that because the psalmist is going to tell us that what we have to, if we're going to really live in the will of God for you individually, You have to wrestle down worry. You have to wake up to God and you have to walk with Jesus. Like for us to be able to live in God's will, these three things have to be continually true in our lives. We have to wrestle down worry. We have to wake up to what God, who God is and what he's doing. And we have to walk not for Jesus, but with Jesus. And I believe that that's what the psalmist is going to tell us today. So, um, let's take a look at our first, at our, at, so hopefully you're in Psalm 37. Let's take a look at our first two verses. That, that's our first point. We have to wrestle down worry. So what does that look like? Well, look at what he says. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. That word fret, your, your translation might be something like, don't be anxious. Don't worry. It's all on the same form of the, of the word in, Greek, or in Hebrew. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do, do not be envious. Don't envy. Don't look at other people and go, oh, how can they have it so good? Um, for they will soon fade like the grass and will wither like the green herb. Guys, worry and envy, when we live in worry and envy, we are, we are here's the statement we're making subconsciously. God, you're wrong. When I, when, I, when I look at somebody else in the gym and I'm like, man, if only I had the abs that dude had. Right. What I'm saying is, first of all, completely shallow and superficial, which I'm guilty of. Second of all, right, is I'm looking and I'm going, God, you made a mistake when you made me. Right. When we live in that kind of, but the same thing is true when I'm living in worry. When I, I mentioned it was last week or the week before about how, like, I can be, I can be in the middle of praising God through my quiet time and immediately get a text message or something and not even know what it's about yet. And I can start to feel that worry and anxiety building up in me. What that's, what that's subconsciously saying is, God, I don't really believe you're in control. I don't really believe you're good. I don't really believe you've got this, whatever this is. And so that's where worry and things take us. Um, Henry David Thoreau said this, the mass of men live, live lives of quiet desperation. Guys, I have come to believe that, that most of us live um, like Jesus died, crucified between two thieves. And the two thieves are the regrets about my yesterday and the worries about my tomorrow. 
When I live in, in, the, in that space between, here's I'm regretting what I did in the past, whether that be my pre-Christ past or my yesterday past, and, or I'm living in the worries about what's going to happen in the next moment, the next hour, the next days, I am not living in the victory, the freedom that we talked about last week. It's just, it's just crazy how we live that way. Guys, understand this, and this is where this, this, these first two verses, I think, talk about wrestle down worry. He's, the, the psalmist is saying, stop worrying, stop being anxious. Because it, don't, don't look at the people that are doing evil and get angry about it, because it's it's, it sucks the life out of you. When we start worrying about, I don't mean we have to engage in the world. We need to be involved. I talked about that during the gospel moment. We need to be involved in the gospel. We need to be involved in politics. We need to be involved in what's going on in our schools. We need to be involved in the world. I'm not saying disengage. I'm saying don't let that consume you. Don't let the feelings of frustration, don't let the worry about, oh, no, where's our culture going? And, and what's going to happen to my children in the country my children live in? Don't let that worry consume you. Because it's, one, it's completely pointless, and two, frankly, and we're going to see it in a second, it's completely sinful, right? But when we live that way, we are, we, there is, we are living as a tool of the enemy. Okay? Satan wants us angry, and he wants us bitter, and he wants us distracted. And man, has he gotten really good at making that happen in the church, right? Like, it, it's just crazy anxiety proverbs 24 says this, proverbs 12 says this anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down but a good word lifts him up that's why we need to gather together because anxiety weighs us down all week and we gather together and and we'll be talking as we start into our new series in matthew how we're going to be gathering together even midweek um in small groups and things because we need that time so that that good word lifts us back up but I want you to turn, if you would, to Matthew. So keep your finger here. We're going to come back to the Psalms. But turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Because I want you to see what Jesus has to say about this idea of wrestling down worry. So go to Matthew. It's your first gospel, the beginning of your New Testament. Matthew chapter 6. So this is Jesus speaking. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to pick it up in verse 25. He says, Therefore... I tell you, do not be anxious. Guys, that's written in the imperative. That means it's a command. That means he's not suggesting, hey, if you feel like it, don't be anxious. Or hey, if, if the things in your life are, 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 are not leading you to be anxious, don't be anxious. He's saying, whatever, all the time, no matter what, stop being anxious. Some of you might say, stop worrying about your life, what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, or because is not life more than food and body more than clothing? He's like, this world is not what it's all about. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet the, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of value than they? He's saying if God cares for his creation, and we are, as we saw, the pinnacle of his creation— doesn't he care for us? Now, don't get bogged down, guys. In the, we can get all bogged down in the, this whole thing about like, like, like providing for our physical needs. There's you know, part, the body of Christ. We come together here. We, we, a, a huge part of what we do with, our, with the finances of the church that you guys so um, graciously give is we help the people that need help. And if you need help with physical needs, let your elders know, and we would love to be able to sit down with you and help you. That's, but, so don't get, but don't get bogged down, because Jesus is talking about kingdom stuff here, and he's trying to point us to that idea. He's saying, 
He's saying God's got this covered, in our case, through the church. Stop worrying about it and start living for me. Look at verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious or by worrying, can add a single hour to his span of life? He's saying if it accomplishes nothing. Christ, worry is our greatest thief. Worry, anxiety is the greatest thief. It's because who puts it there? The one who came to seek, steal, and destroy. Right? The enemy gets us to worry. It's, it literally takes the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the rest of them, and it sucks them down into little raisins. Right? Instead of being these like, like super fruit people, living in that regret over yesterday and the anxiety or the worry about tomorrow kills the fruit of the Spirit. It just, it's, what, it's what Paul talks about in Galatians 5 when he's talking about walking in the flesh. So jump down to verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. Don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, he's like the unbelievers, seek after those things. And your heavenly Father knows that they need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things will be added unto you. Guys, what would it look like if you lived like you believed that? Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else you need will be given to you. Now we can sit here and talk about, we can slice up need. What do we need as opposed to what we want? But he's saying, guys, Seek first the kingdom. And every time I read that, I think to myself, I, I journaled about that this week, just on my own. I'm like, what would my life look like if I really believed that seeking him first would take care of the rest of the stuff on my to-do list? Right? I would live way, way, way differently. Look at your second talking points question. The commands to not worry and stop being anxious are just that, commands. They're not suggestions. And they are numerous. Jesus talks about this more than, more than not anything, but more than a lot of the things he could talk about because he knows how much we struggle with it. So what does worry have to do with living in the will of God? What does worry have to do with living in the will of God? My brother Jeff just said nothing. Pretty much sums it up. Nothing. What else? But like, 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 how, like how, does it, how do those things juxtapose against each other? Shows that we're not trusting God, that he can't handle it. So I better step into that. And that's going to lead us right into our second point. Anyone else? How am I going to fix this? And again, so along with what Jan was saying, like this idea of like somehow, somehow we worry that God's not going to cover this. So we better get after it. And there is this tension for us as believers because let go, let God is not in the Bible. Right? I didn't know if you knew that. That's not a verse. Right? There is a place where we are to engage by the power of the Spirit in what God's calling us to. And that's where we'll end the message. But so let's so let's look at our next point. Well, let me let me just let me just say this. So the biggest problem with like why we need to wrestle down worry is worry robs us of something. It's our thief. And it robs us ultimately of our experiencing God's presence. We cannot simultaneously be anxious and worried about tomorrow and praising God. So if we're not doing one, then we're probably doing the other. So that leads us to our next point. So what does it take to know and live in the will of God? We have to wrestle down worry and we have to wake up to God. So go back to Psalm 37, which I should have done. Go back to Psalm 37. 
And let's pick it up in our next few verses. There is Psalm 37. There it is. Psalm 37, look at verses 3 through 6. He says, so instead of, he says, don't worry. Instead, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Befriend faithfulness. That word befriend there in the Hebrew actually means to feed. It's like, it's like inviting someone to your table to feed them. I love that. Feed faithfulness. Are you feeding your fear or your faith? It's how it's come up a lot uh, recently, really since COVID. I've seen that posted a lot in different places. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What that means is he will make our will align with his will. That's how we will walk in his will, by waking up to what he's doing, by delighting in him. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. He's saying if you will walk in his will, he will make things right for you. Because in that section, what initiates the, the, him partnering with us in, 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 in how we're walking? What initiates it? I look at it, things like waiting, what we're delighting in. Words like verse Verse 3, trust. We've already heard that this morning. Dwell, befriend, or feed faithfulness. Delight, commit your way to the Lord. He will act. Guys, it's all about our focus. I say this over and over and over, and I'm going to keep saying it until I believe it. What we fixate on, we migrate towards. What consumes our minds captures our hearts. It just does. And what the psalmist is telling us here is if we will wake up to what God is doing, if he will consume our minds, he will capture our hearts. And what everything we do, everything we say and what we do is an overflow of our hearts. Then we'll be living in his will. And we'll get to a little more specifics about that here in just a minute. Guys, ultimately, what is God's plan for God's people? If you had to put it in a word or a sentence, what would it be? What? Okay, heaven, but not just heaven, because because if it was, I mean, it is our, our that's our ultimate destination. But if if the goal if that was the ultimate goal, then then none of us as who are Christians in this room, and I'm sure not all of us are, none of us would be here. Because if the ultimate goal was destination, the minute you got saved, he'd take you to heaven. That's not the, that's not the ultimate goal. What's the it's related? It's, it's linked to heaven. What's the ultimate goal, Michelle? Okay, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. Good. I think those are, those are great examples of how to walk in his will, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Those are descriptors of his will. Yes. To be made into the image of Christ. To enter us into heaven, to enter us into glory, looking as much like Christ as possible. That's God's will for your life. That's it. Everything that's going on in your life is for that purpose. It's because the image is marred by our rebellion and the perfect image is Christ. So whatever God has to do to make that happen, he will make happen. Because you're going to read about it this week, but in Proverbs chapter 3, he talks about that. The writer of Proverbs, it's just to the writer where we are. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But in Proverbs chapter 3, um, it says, let me, just, let me just turn there. It says, um, it, he talks about like the, the most popular part of the of, um of Proverbs 3, 5, is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will do it. He will act. He will make your path straight. 
But what does it look like, guys, to trust in the Lord? Like, what does it look like to wake up and join God with where he's working? Here's the problem. We don't do that well. So I'm going to set this out of the way so I can sort of show you. This is what I think, how most of us live trusting or not trusting the Lord. What is this thing? What is this? What's it made for? Yeah, most of you have seen this analogy before. So, okay, it's a, it's a stool. It's made for sitting. The question is, do I have faith in that stool? Do I have, and I don't mean faith to save. I mean faith to sit. Do I have faith? Well, how do you know? I'm not sitting in it, right? Like, I can say all day that I have faith in it, but until I do this, you don't really believe, you don't know that I know that I have faith in it. But here's the problem. This is how we tend to live. We go, oh, yeah, I have faith in God because I've sat down in Jesus. Right? But here's the problem. What most of us do is because we're pretty comfortable. Because you know, it's not a stool, it's a chair. We're just like. And we're sitting, we're sitting in Jesus, but we're asleep. Why? Because we're not fully trusting. Because fully, here's the problem. Where are my feet? On the ground. You know why they're on the ground? Because I don't fully trust in the stool. And that way, if this stool starts to go south, I can stand up. And we treat God that way. Guys, absolutely, we treat God like, like where we go, okay, I absolutely trust you, Lord. I'm going to sit I've been following you. I'm reading the word. I'm praying. I'm doing all those things. But just in case you need my help, just in case things go a little sideways, I'm going to be ready to go. I, because, I, man, you, you probably need me. Guys, what faith looks like is this. Sitting in Christ, feet up. Now, here's the problem. This is hard. Like, like this is way easier. This is why I'm not falling asleep doing this. I might end up with the abs like the dude at the gym, but I'm not falling asleep doing that. But here's the problem. Guys, it's even, it's even worse than that because here's what we do. We go, oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's not even just that we sit on the stool. And I'm not, I don't, I'm, um, it's not just that we sit in the stool, but keep our feet on the floor. It's gotten worse than that in the, in the church I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the world. Is we, take a, we take a rope and we go, well, yeah, I know this is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I know this is the truth. But I want the freedom to wander as far from the truth as I can and still be connected. Yeah, I'm still Jesus. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still saying I'm a Christian. I'm still saying I'm following the Lord. But now I'm going to define how I'm living my way, you know, because because back when the Bible was written, it wasn't really. I mean, it was it was written for those people then, and things have changed. I mean, we're more evolved now, right? So we can redefine marriage, we can redefine gender, we can redefine anything we want. But I'm but I'm still gonna supposedly be connected to the truth, guys. It's gotten even worse than that. I was thinking about this analogy this morning. It's not just that we want that that we now have this massive scope of truth instead of the truth. It's gotten worse than that. You know why? Because now you know what we do? We say, I define my own truth. I get to carry, you know, and I, I still call myself a Christian. But I get to decide exactly what part of Christ I want to embrace and what part I don't. Because the truth is found in me. Because do you see how dangerous that is? We have to wake up to what God is doing. The only way we can be in God's will is if we wake up to what he's doing and we join him there. D.L. Moody put it this way. Let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. Let God have your life. He can do more with it 
then you can. So I'm not going to ask you. I heard just from the wows and the uhs what you guys think of that statement, right? I love how um, our, um, Henry Blackaby in his, in, his, in his great study called Experiencing God, he's like, so, so how do we then walk in the will of God? Here's what Blackaby says. Look for where God is working and join him there. Where is God working in your life right now? Who is God, like, you see, you see this little God stirring. Who, like, where is he at work and join him in that work? Too often we're just trying to create it all in our own strength. And then we wonder why we fail. Guys, it is, um, I think it was John Piper said, God is always doing 10,000 things simultaneously in your life. And you are aware of three of them. Right? Like, like we have to, it's so easy for us to miss God. So the last thing is I just want, I just want to, in quick sentences or words, I want you to look at our last talking points question is this. So let's share some ways we can be more aware of where God is at work. Like what are some ways you, you, you're aware of? I don't mean like specific things he's done. I mean like what, like what are ways you know God's working? When he what? When you're with people. And what? When you hear people's stories, when you hear like life struggles, joys, victories, like that, you see God working. And we were, as we were praying, I was with a couple of sisters I just met, more or less, and, and one of them was sharing a little bit of her story. And I'm like, you know what? That's God at work. Like, I mean, I mean, it just, it was, yeah, it was just so encouraging to my soul because I'm like, and that's God. What else? When He heals, like when He when He heals, when He heals spiritually, when He heals emotionally, when He heals physically. Man, you're like, God is at work. That's part of why we want to share our stories. It's part of why we have to be together to share our stories because it reminds us that God is still at work. Because there are oftentimes in our lives, in your life, in my life, where I'm like, you know what, right now, my answer to the question of where is God working is, I don't know. I can't tell. I'm just in a cold, lonely place. But then when I get around other people and I hear their story, it reminds my soul, hey, God is still at work. Jamie. Mm. Mm. So if you hear Jamie said, the, the enemy is trying to get us to live in, like, in hiding. So the more you can share and shine light, the freer you will be, the more you will see God working. That's a great point. And that kind of leads us to our last point. So how, what does it look like to live in the will of God? One, we have to wrestle down worry. Guys, you cannot simultaneously be worrying and anxious and, and walking out God's will at the same time. The second thing is that we have to wake up to what God is doing. Like you have to look at, like, like are we walking along day by day going, okay, Lord, where are you working right now? And the last thing is, and it goes along with that, is walking with Jesus. So look at, um, back in the Psalms, this is the last part, the last couple of verses of Psalm of the psalm that we're going to look at, Psalm 37, verses um, 7 through 9. So look at what he says. The psalmist says, Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. I, again, I love how like the, the word on the screen at the beginning of our prayer time was silent. Be still. And that one minute that Josh gave us during that prayer time, and he said that silent was amazing, silence was amazing. You know why it was amazing? Because we never do it. Our life, you're going to get in the car and you're going to turn on the music or you're going to turn on the radio. You're going to go somewhere and you're going to put in your AirPods. 
You're going you're gonna to be sitting down going, okay, I just need to rest right now, and you're going to be scrolling through your phone. Me too. We, 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 just mean, we make no time for, to be still before the Lord. He says, don't, and then he goes on to talk about, don't fret. Don't, about the one who prospers in his way, like Asaph did in Psalm 73 when he was so anxious and so angry about how the, how the, the ungodly were doing well and he was struggling to figure out if he was even walking in God's will. Asaph was King David's music leader. Like he was, he was like one of the top, he's supposed to be like super spiritual dude. And he's going, I don't even know if I'm living in God's will. And then he went, until I went into the house of the Lord and I was with God's people. And then I remembered what was true. We have to remember that. Last couple of verses. Refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, those who walk in his will, they are the ones who will inherit the land. Guys, it's not about doing stuff for Jesus. It's about doing stuff with Jesus. Jesus doesn't need you to do anything for him. He wants you to do stuff with him. Now, now last thing, and we're going to kind of get really practical as we, as we land this plane. Like, what are some obstacles to knowing God's plan for our life? Well, I'm just going to quickly, so the, big, the biggest one is selfishness. Obstacles to knowing God's plan and to walking out God's plan, selfishness, self-deception, I, I want to live my life. Guys, guys I, I, I journaled about this. My biggest struggle with knowing God's will for my life isn't that God is not revealing his will. It's that I don't want to let go of my own. Right? That's our biggest struggle. What does it take to follow the Lord? We've already talked about it. Trusting the Lord. Knowing him more helps you trust him better. The more you trust him, the better you'll be walking in his will. So it's trusting the Lord. Guys, I'm not going to have you turn there in the interest of time, but there's a scene in Matthew chapter 10. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 10. Many of you know it, so I can just describe it, and it'll bring it to mind. It's the, it's the scene where Jesus is in the home of Mary and Martha. Martha is cooking all the food, and she's washing all the dishes, and she's cranking along, just doing, doing stuff for Jesus. Where's her sister? At the feet of Jesus, just sitting Quietly and listening. The problem is I have way too many Martha moments. You have way too many Martha moments and not enough Mary moments. Not enough moments of just sitting and being still, as the psalmist said, being still before the Lord. Waiting patiently for him. We're running around doing stuff for him that we don't even do anything with him. And then we wonder why life is so hard. We wonder why our Christian walk is so hard. Jesus tells Mary, or tells Martha, 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 you are worried and anxious about so many things. And only one thing matters. And your sister has chosen. What's the one thing? Him. On the back of that handout that I talked about during the gospel moment, and also in our toolkit, which, by the way, I meant to bring a copy up. If you don't have a copy of our Discipleship Toolkit, they're out on the information table in the back. Um, guys, it is such a great resource. I, I would encourage you to have one. But the, the stuff that's on the, on the other side about knowing God's will, practically knowing God's will, is, is I just cut and pasted this right out of, there's a whole section about knowing God's will in the toolkit. Like five pages, tons of verses, 
all about how do I know the will of God for my life? Question to ask. But one of the things that we talk about is how do you discern God's will? Well, one of the ways is if, if these things are true in your life, if you're in repentance, if you're in the word, if you're in prayer, if you're seeking godly counsel, if you're faithful in the little things, if those things are true, then you are here. The, the, you are in God's will. So just do what you want to do. John MacArthur, who's one of the more rule-keeping people I know, says the same thing. He's like, if you're saved, if you're spirit-led, if you're sanct- if, if, if you are going about the process of being sanctified, if you're submissive, and if you've sacrificed, if you've given your time, talent, and treasure to, to what the Lord is doing, then here's what he says. Do what you want to do. If those five things are true in your life, do what you want. You know why? Because what you want is what God wants. It's not brain surgery. Guys, what is God's will? Here's God's will. Love God. Love people. Multiply the kingdom. Jesus said it. Great commandment, great commission. Love God. Love people. Fulfill the mission. Make disciples. That's God's will for your life. So as we're going, okay, so, so what do I do? But what do I do tomorrow about this decision I have to make about school or work or whatever? Here's the question we need to ask, and I'll close with this. Which of the decisions is going to lead you to look more like Jesus? Because that's God's will. Which of the decisions is going to lead you into a space where you're going to be able to love God more, love people more, and fulfill the mission? That's what God wants you to do. Tim Keller said it this way. You want to know the will of God? Do the next right thing. Do the next right thing. And the next right thing is whatever it is that's going to make you look more like the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for that truth. I thank you for the truth that you have not hidden your will from us. We get so caught up in, in the day-to-day of our lives and in the, um, like, you saw, like you said, just things that we worry about. That, then we start to wonder, okay, well, what is your will? Is your will that we do this or is your will that we do that? And, and, you're, and you've made it clear. Love you completely. Love others selfless, selflessly and fulfill the mission. And if, and if we will just make decisions consistent with those objectives, we will be walking in your will. Lord, remind us as we go into this time of response that it was, that it was your good will to crush your son. That's what Isaiah tells us. It was your will to crush the son so that we might be saved. So that we might have life. So is it not enough that you would desire for us to live our lives for the glory of the one who gave us life? If there is a God, and there is, and if, and if he does have a plan, and you do, and if the gospel and the kingdom reveal that plan, and it does, then should we not respond by just saying, here I am, Lord. So Lord, I do pray for those that do not yet know that. That don't yet know. It starts with us being willing to admit our need. That we cannot live your will our way or even by our strength. We need you. And then it's that constant process of dying to self and picking up the cross. Looking to Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. That's what that means. 
Lord, I pray that you will help us to be a people that would that would just give our lives away. If we would do that, we are in your will for your glory alone. In Jesus' name.